Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Travelcast, Episode 9. The Travelcast is a weekly podcast featuring strange stories by strange authors for strange listeners such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Per usual, I'll start this episode off with the usual requests for your stories, your feedback, and your general attention. This time, however, I'm also going to ask for your vote. That's right. Remember, the Super Animal Deathmatch competition is underway, and I need you to email me at goatkeeper at hotmail.com and let me know who you think should win. That's right, America. You get to decide. I sound like Ryan Seacrest. Norman Seacrest. Hmm. Anyways, if you need to be reminded about the four contestants, listen to the intro of Episode 8. The contestants are Crab Louie, Telephant, Hippopotapane, and Death Mole. Right now, Death Mole is in the lead with two votes. The only two votes. And one of those votes is mine. That's depressing. I remember a day when Super Animal Deathmatch competition actually meant something to people. This generation with their fuel-efficient cars and their Nintendo Wiis and their free-spirited Zach Braff romantic comedies they just, they just don't care about giant flying moles, you know? And it really breaks my heart. Okay, on to today's story. Vengeance at 4 a.m. by Lindsay Anderson. Lindsay is the author of Drabblecast 2, the depressing fairy tale, Longing for Love, a unicorn story. So, get a big bowl of spaghetti and sit back and relax. Without further ado... Vengeance at 4 a.m. by Lindsay Anderson. The hallway was silent. April tiptoed out of her bedroom towards the stairs, her steps silent on the new thick carpet that her aunt had put down just a few days ago. It was very quiet, unnatural to hear no breathing from either her sister's room, next to hers, or from her aunt's room across the hall. The clock in the living room below was also quiet, probably lying in pieces on the floor. Well, it was a wild party they had had last night. The clock had probably gotten knocked over. It wouldn't be the first time. April and her sister had gotten in trouble numerous times for knocking the clock off its rickety shelf. Their aunt had refused to fix the shelf, saying that there wouldn't be anything wrong with it if the girls would stop running into it. April stopped at the top of the stairs and turned around, facing the dark hallway, hoping to hear steady breathing, but nothing. She was still confused as she descended the stairs until she remembered that her aunt was out of town, and her sister, well, 
June was in the kitchen raiding the refrigerator as usual. And now that she knew June was up, April could convince her to help clean the house. I'm glad you're up, April said softly, so as to not scare June, whose head was inside the refrigerator. June shrieked, taking a huge gasp of air that sounded almost painful. April, don't do that. I thought you were Aunt Mary. No worries. She must still be gone. Coming home later in the day, I guess. But that gives us time to clean up, right? June grabbed a large green bowl of spaghetti and set it on the kitchen table with a thump. Well, I have to eat something first. I'm starving. Fine, but make it quick. Aunt Mary could be back at any time, even if it is four in the morning. Looking unconcerned, June took a large plastic spoon and slapped a clump of spaghetti on her plate. You worry too much, April. We've never gotten caught, even when Aunt Mary is here sleeping. How many parties has she slept through? Like five? We're fine. Now I'm going to go eat this, and then we can get started. But I'm taking my time. April gave a sigh and walked out of the kitchen and into the living room. Her robe dragged behind her. She flicked the light switch and surveyed the remnants of the party, the new carpet with pretzels and chips smashed into it. The couch tilted on its side, countless bottles all over the room, some of them empty, some of them spilled. A piece of smashed cake was stuck to the wall, and as April looked at it, she vaguely remembered telling one of her friends to use something soft if he was serious about demonstrating his pitching abilities. That would have been the result. And there... Under the cake-splattered wall was the clock, in pieces, as she had suspected. It wasn't a large clock, but it was loud, and for it not to be ticking consistently made April feel uncomfortable. The tick-tock of the clock was a sound she had liked falling asleep to every night, ever since she could remember. She knelt down and picked up the pieces of wood and the broken face, and carried it all out to the kitchen to see the extent of the damage. Wow, that is bad, June mumbled through a mouth of spaghetti. Yeah, I don't see how we're going to be able to do anything about it before Aunt Mary comes home, April replied with concern. Grandpa Norman made that clock, didn't he? June asked suddenly. Yeah, I think so. Why do you ask? June shrugged. No reason. It just makes it more valuable to Aunt Mary, I guess. That's all. April picked up the largest piece from the base of the clock and turned it over. Maybe there was a date or an inscription on it somewhere. Although she and June had knocked the clock over on more than one occasion, she had never really thought to take the time to look at it closely when putting it back. Just then, April heard a faint noise, so faint she thought she must have imagined it, until she heard it again. Tick, tick, tap. Tick, tick, tap. It sounded like it was far away, in another part of the house, or outside even. June, she hissed, her throat tightening as she spoke. Do you hear that? Hear what, June said as she noisily put her empty plate into the sink. April's words tumbled out. That, that noise, June, don't you hear it? Like a ticking. She put down the piece of the clock she had been holding and grabbed June's arm. The noise came louder and in a nonsensical rhythm. Tick, tick, tap, 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 
tick, tick tap. Could it be someone at the door? Someone who had left something after the party, perhaps? June could hear it now, too. April, where's it coming from? She whispered, hoping the noise wouldn't hear them, wouldn't find them cowering near the kitchen sink. I don't know. I think the front door. Should we see who it is? But April didn't answer. She was frozen to the kitchen floor. It began to sound more and more like the tapping wasn't coming from outside, but from the very room they were standing in. There was something eerily familiar about that tapping noise, something that resembled... She didn't have to think about it long before she realized the ticking tapping noise was very much like the sound of Grandpa Norman's clock, the clock that was silent and in pieces, probably beyond repair, never to be reassembled again. Only this sound that resembled the clock's ticking wasn't comforting at all. And it was getting louder the longer they stood there, wondering what to do. Tick, tap, tap, tick, tap, tap. It grew louder and louder until it was almost deafening. And then, suddenly, it stopped. June let out a large sigh and leaned against the counter, shutting her eyes. It's over. I don't know what it was, but it's over. They left. But April didn't respond, and as June opened her eyes, she saw why. There was something moving in the shadows. Slowly, a long and bony skeleton emerged from the dark. The girls stood frozen in horror, unable to make their legs function in an effort to move away. A look of realization came upon April's face as she whispered over to June. It's him. We should never have broken the clock. Now they knew what had caused the ticking, tapping noise. It had been Grandpa Norman's bony finger tapping away at the table as he stood watching them. The pieces of the clock he had made spread out on the table as if it had never been anything important. Grandpa Norman's skeletal figure came around the table suddenly, wielding in its bony hands the shards of glass from the clock's face. He would take vengeance. The girls tried to scream, but never emitted a sound before pieces of the sharp glass were thrust into their necks simultaneously, silencing any tales they would ever tell about Grandpa Norman and the clock. But not silencing the vengeful ticking tapping noise that would forever haunt Aunt Mary's house to this very day. Epilogue Grandpa looked at the pale and blood-drained bodies on the kitchen floor and shrugged. When taking revenge, sometimes unfortunate things must take place. A sack materialized beside Grandpa Norman. He gathered in his arms the pieces of his beloved clock and placed them gently and lovingly in the sack. He clutched the sack to his sternum as little streams of wetness fell from his hollow eye sockets. Well, that was our story. I hope you liked it. What is it with grandpas and clocks? 
Why are grandpas associated with clocks to the extent that we even name a type of clock after them? What about grandmothers? We should name some household item after them too, shouldn't we? Like a grandmother toaster or something. It could even be a toaster oven. That's not really even important. The important thing is that the toaster be about grandma. Well, that's all for this week. Tune in for next week's story. Until then, send in your stories and comments and votes to goatkeeper at hotmail.com. Check out normsherman.com for some sweet tunes and tell your friends to subscribe to the Drabblecast on iTunes. It's free. You can't beat that. I'm your host, Norm Sherman, reminding you to get your rickety shelves fixed and to stay the hell away from Grandpa's old clock and Grandma's toaster. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.